My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world, sharing their insights, strategies, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today is my good friend, Michael McCrary, CEO and founder of Pure Spectrum. Michael, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. Thank you, Meryl. Happy to be here. Hey, let's, let's start with, just describe your insights career to the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I got into the insights industry around 2003. Uh, prior to that, I had been working in print, media, and it's really pretty comfortable with data. Um, I actually was repping a magazine called Midwest Living, and it wasn't the easiest ad sell to agencies in New York. So I had to become pretty comfortable with explaining audiences and, and who they're missing and why it's an important group. So uh, from there, it was I could see the handwriting on the wall that print media was going to have a hard time because this was around the internet really taking off. And got to work in Greenfield Online, and that was kind of the very beginning of, yeah, I guess, the race for online sampling. And spent about seven years there, uh, starting off as a sales rep, working my way up to a regional manager, and then ultimately being in charge of all of North American sales. And from there, um, after Greenfield was sold uh, to Microsoft and then ultimately passed on to Toluna, Moved over to Scent, where I spent just a little over a year um, helping them get a foothold in North America. And uh, that is probably my shortest stint doing anything in the industry. I uh, learned a lot there, but um, from there, moved on to, to work for what's now called Lucid, helping them build their, their business and, and grow that business as well. And ultimately, um, early 2016, um, made the decision to start my own business. And started working on Pure Spectrum, and and that's pretty much the journey. That's great, Michael. The journey, which I, I love that word. It's 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 really unique, and I think it's appropriate. So the journey, when we think about mentors and we think about people who have helped you along the way, I mean, think about it. You you've you've been in the insights industry for about seventeen years now, not thirty five or whatever that I've been here. I have a lot of gray hairs. You're you're obviously younger, and I, I, I think I've got you on gray hair though. I don't know about that. I'm not sure, but maybe. But you know what? Who helped you along the way? I mean, think about that. So you come into an industry at a pretty nice level and you don't really know much about it. I know you knew about data, but really not 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 a lot more about the insights community. Who who started to help you early on? Yeah, my first boss was Keith Price. Um, I think a lot of people would know him. And you know, I learned a lot from Keith just about how to be a professional salesperson, how to follow through and, and you know, how to conduct business. For me, I think mentors and managers or mentors and leaders are, are, are not always the same. They can be. Uh, but you know, I, if I think back to an early mentor, it's actually one of my clients who helped me learn some of the nuances of the industry. And that's uh, another common friend of ours. That's Michelle Elster um, at Raven Research. She Really, really took me under her wing on um, probably to help her because I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, I, I didn't understand why certain things didn't fit online, didn't understand a lot of the nuances of the, the industry. And 
And she just spent a lot of time, you know, helping me understand why a certain type of research product or method couldn't be done online, right? Because I was trying to sell everything online. And instead of just telling me no, uh, she would say, let me explain to you why, you know, this sort of project would do better in a telephone setting or in a, you know, an in-person setting. And I don't think I've ever properly thanked her for, you know, giving me some of that uh, underlying understanding of, you know, not everything is a one size fits all. Uh, but it just she took the time, you know, to explain it without being annoyed. You know, it, it was she really was a teacher. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because um, I know Michelle very, very well. I'm only doing 56 podcasts this year. Michelle's already been on the podcast on the mark. Um, she's an amazing leader. She's a second generation researcher. Her kids make it the third. Um, really impressive executive who's given a lot back to the industry and to a lot of people and mentored a lot of people. So that's really nice to hear. Um, you know, in terms of mentors, it's kind of interesting in my career. I don't think I started out saying, okay, in my 20s, I'm going to go look for a mentor, right? I think it just it just kind of naturally happened. So I had a few mentors early on. I had Marianne Schaefer and Sandy Schwartz and definitely the late John Bonney, who really helped my career and and really taught me and took the time. When you talk about Michelle Elster, who took the time to really um, – you know, describe to you why certain things work and why certain things don't work and how you should be looking at things. Was the same true with you where you just kind of naturally fell into, hey, I've got these kind of people who are mentors and it, it, as opposed to saying, hey, would you be my mentor? Yeah, it's a really good question because I don't think that I've ever set out seeking a mentor. Right. You know, I think I'm, I'm naturally curious. Yep. And, you know, some people are willing to invest and give to you without any ask in return. And and so those things just kind of happen. And it's not like they need to be your boss, right? I think people can look at their bosses, um, naturally have an opportunity to be mentors for you. But I think there's there's certain opportunities where, I don't know, for me, a mentorship is a two-way street. And it's they need to be giving to you and you need to be giving to them. I, I mean, I don't even know what I give to the mentors except for, you know, maybe they enjoy that I might listen and actually take their advice. But um, so I, to me, like finding a mentor wasn't a mission. It just kind of happened. I'm the same way. So at the top of your mentor list, because I'm sure you have maybe three or four over your career, who's at the top of your list? Without a doubt, it would be Al Ingrassani. And I'm sure you've seen the news. He passed away last week. Um, which is, yep. Yep. Uh, I'm getting choked up just talking about it. Um, but uh, Al Ingrassani, uh, hands down, is is my top mentor. And, you know, Al was, you remember, he became the CEO of Greenfield uh, right around 2005. And I, at the time, had moved out west. That's You know, I came out to California at that time. And I wouldn't even really say that Al at that time was – I hadn't identified that he was going to be my mentor. Um, and, but I just always enjoyed his company and just little anecdotes. Like whenever he would come visit the West coast and I was the regional VP, I just make sure that, you know, I made sure he had a good time, you know, took him to Lakers games, you know, made, made sure that we spent time where it wasn't just around, you know, going over numbers and business. And then every time I would go back to Connecticut, he would know I was coming and and he'd set up dinners and, 
And so we developed, I would say, more of a, a professional friendship at that point. You know, he was, he was, you know, very senior, had a lot on his hands, but he always made the time. You know, it was always like, yes, let's have dinner. Yes, let's have breakfast. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of it. And then, you know, he moved on after the same, basically the same time I did after Greenfield sold to Microsoft. And, you know, a few years later, two, three years later, you know, we almost kind of a quiet period. We kind of email back and forth. How are you doing? What are you doing? But when he landed back at Harris Interactive, you know, we ended up reengaging uh, on more of a commercial level where, you know, the the company I was at ended up, um, you know, he kind of helped fast track adoption of the technology that, that I was, you know, selling. And there was mutual benefit there. It was a big deal for me in a new company. And yeah, I think it really helped him in his turnaround that second time around at uh, Harris Interactive. And then it was the same. It was, you know, we didn't always talk about business. And but every time I would go to New York, you know, it was the first email I'd send, you know, Al, I'm coming to New York, you know, would love to see you. And it was always like, if he was there, like, absolutely, let's get a dinner. Absolutely. Let's get a breakfast. Started to get to know more about him as a man, you know, his family and how much he cared about his family, um, how that was, you know, without a doubt. You know, he was a very driven man. You know him. Uh, but, you know, yeah. Yeah. no matter what you were doing and what was going on, you, you know, you, you learned about what was going on with his daughters and, you know, and his grandchildren and, and, you know, just how much he adored them. And he took a special interest in what was going on with me as well. You know, he, he knew my wife and knew my kids and, and kind of knew, you know, always wanted to know how they were doing. And, and, you know, just, so that was kind of where I began to be like, oh, you know, this is, this is cool, right? You know, it, it's not all about business and, and we're, we've developed a rapport that's not just, a, you know, you know, how can we do business together? Really, really things I think crystallized for me when, when I was ready or wanted to start a business. And, you know, he was one of the guys I reached out to because, you know, he was, obviously an astute business person. And he, he was just generous and helpful, you know, and, and if anybody's ever started a business and, and you have to raise capital for the first time, which, you know, I raised a little bit to start this business, I mean, it is a foreign language and you feel really overwhelmed, really overmatched. And, and so it was just a guiding hand. And, you know, there was never a time where I'm like, Hey, I have a question about this where he'd be like, I'm so busy. I can't help you. It was always like, call anytime, right? Just call anytime. So that's when it really, for me, became clear. Like, uh, I think about it almost like the the movie Rocky, you know, where you have the trainer and he's in your corner, right? And it's like, he's there, he's, you know, rubbing your shoulders, you're bleeding and <laughs> you're beat up and it's the 12th round. And, and he's like, hey, you got this, you got this, you know? And, and you never have to worry that, you know, he's doing anything, but he's in your corner, right? Like he is backing you up and, and doesn't have any ulterior motives. Um, so he became my go-to guy um, for anything. You know, if, if I was, I didn't know what to do with a contract or I didn't know what to do with investor relations or whatever it was, uh, I could go to him. And the interesting thing I think is that you, know, you would expect him to always tell you to fight, right? Always have to fight. I trusted him so much where he could even say like, I wouldn't fight this. You know, you, you just need to, Michael, hold your nose, right? Just, just take the deal, right? Just hold your nose and do this. So it, it was just good advice that I could trust. 
It's it's so funny because there's so many there's so many things I want to interject here about Alan Grisani. I've had the pleasure. I have known him, worked for him. Um, he's a guy who, in my opinion, when Harris Interactive bought Total Research, they got the upper hand because they got Alan Grisani. I think the company had grown, Harris Interactive had grown so quickly, so fast, and went from this $5 million company to about $160, 70 $80 million quickly. And Al was the guiding force. He was that calming force. And he did it a few times. He was a guy, it's interesting, I've worked for a number of people who early on in my career, they'd be yellers and screamers. And you, they forced you almost to be scared of them and, and forced you to be, to really pay attention. Al, it was interesting. Al was a pretty soft-spoken guy. You know, his words were so powerful. And he was a guy who had a model. He, did, he, he stuck to the model, you know, and it worked with every company. And he, he not only saved Harris once, but twice. And I think that he's just that unique guy that, that everybody should listen to. And, and it's funny because one of my mentors is Sandy Schwartz. And your story about, you know, take the deal, I remember or helping me think about the position to be CEO and president of Mark Research. And, you know, we were looking at the contract and I was bouncing some ideas off of him. And he said, listen, you can do what you want. They want you. You're, you're their guy. Okay, they're convinced you're the one who's going to come in and turn around and, and be there for many, many years. And, you know, 16 years later, here I am. And the reality is they'll give you whatever you want. If you want to negotiate on salary, you want another, whatever it is, they'll give it to you. But I wouldn't do it. And I asked him why. And he said, look, go in and prove yourself. It's a fair deal. And if you want to negotiate on something, and, you know, and, you know, okay, fine. And I negotiated on time, length of contract, because when I dealt with Omnicom, they, I just got different answers, Michael, on the situation at the company and, and basic questions that should have been able to be answered weren't. So the only thing I negotiated on time, and it was, it was really a savior from Sandy Schwartz to doing that to me. So I know, I know that you, you know, what Al meant to you and he, you know, it's not just you, Al meant so much to so many people. I mean, he's a unique individual that was a turnaround. I mean, a lot of people say they're a turnaround specialist, but when you look under the hood, they really aren't. They maybe have done it once. He did it over and over and over again. I was a big believer in process, you know, process on process on process. Um, and so this three-year you know, blueprint was a process. You know, he knew what he would do when he first got in. You know, which was evaluate the team, right? And and you know, when he first joined Greenfield, people called him Chainsaw Al. Like, oh, he's going to come in here and cut everything. Uh, and really, that's that's not exactly how it played out. He what he did is he identified what he would call his lieutenants, right? Who are the people that I'm going to bring close to me to help me execute this plan, right? And there are a number of people who will listen to this who be like, yep, I remember him saying that. And he would he would equitize them, right? He he would make sure that that they they shared in the upside, and he would also, although driving the plan, you know, he would he would enable you to actually execute the plan, right? And I think that is I learned a lot about that just from a even pre mentorship, which is that if you identify the right people as a leader. Um, you have to let them execute, right? It, which also means making mistakes. You, know, you want to minimize the the size of mistakes they can make. But um, you know, there's there's nothing worse than having talented people that feel like you're going to micromanage them, 
and you're going to you're going to want to direct everything they do. First of all, you're never going to have the time to do it, right? So you're going to be working with imperfect information. And second, they're going to feel undermined and and not like you trust them. And they will then go on and find some other place that they enjoy. You know, what's the old saying that people don't quit companies, they quit bosses. Yep, it's true. It's I know I have. Have you? I would say that there are times when when the relationship or the trust level with a boss deteriorated to a level where it was unsustainable. You know, it's just you wake up every day and you're like, I don't want to do this today. You know, I like this doesn't this doesn't make me feel good waking up and doing this uh, for that person. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because to me it happened at Elric and Lavage. I had three bosses in a span of seven months. I was a senior vice president. I still have a lot of takeaways from that boss, even though he was the worst boss I ever had. And the takeaway was he never gave me a chance. He had preconceived ideas. He didn't know the business. He didn't know our business. He didn't know the players. He didn't know what people's skills were. And he brought in his own team um, and didn't really give a number of people a chance. And I was one of them. And he did subsequently about five years after that actually apologize to me, which was interesting. Um, but I've taken that negative into a positive because when I came into Mark or when I came into another situation in a leadership position, I actually remembered that and knew it bothered me and didn't make rash decisions. And didn't. I remember when I went to Harris Interactive um, on day two and they said, hey, you need to go fire this person. I'm like, okay. Um, can I ask you, can I ask you why? Well, yeah, he's not doing really, really well and he's doing this and he's doing that and he's on probation. I said, well, you put me in charge of this, right? I said, yeah. I said, well, why don't you give me a chance to evaluate before I fire the person? Because I don't understand if you thought they were so horrible. Why didn't you fire them last week, last month or last quarter? Exactly. And yeah. I was able to work with this individual, turn him around. And he actually made what was Harris Interactive's president of club three years in a row. And, you know, I, th I think that, you know, if you had four or five words, Michael, I'm going to make this hard, four or five words to describe your mentor, Al Angrasani, what would they be? Like, what are, what are some of the key words that you think that, the, that describe him? Giving, like just giving of his time. Um, intelligent, compassionate, a friend, a friend, just a, a friend, and uh, spiritual. He's a very spiritual man. Um, not many, not many people know that. No, that's that is that is great. So, what advice do you have? Because you and I didn't search out in our twenties or even in our thirties, perhaps, to say, "Oh, I got to go find a mentor." But let's say other listeners who are in their 20s, 30s, um, what advice would you give them to go find a mentor and to establish that relationship and get that guidance to help them throughout their career? Yeah, I think you said it. It's established the relationship, right? So I would say if you identify people that you think are you're aspirational, like I would like to be able to, to operate at that person's type of level, right? Um, um, develop a relationship, it takes time, right? Relationships don't happen overnight. I mean, there's probably two, three dozen dinners and lunches and breakfasts between Al before you know the rapport started. Um, at that point, um, just be careful of who you you know. There's difference between like idolizing people and and mentors because to me, a mentor is 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 not someone you just look up to. This is a good person. Like you vetted them yourself, you got to know them, you see how the, t the way they, they make decisions. 
And then you're like, all right, this is a solid person that is not just a famous person or a person in a senior position. Cause there are plenty of people in senior positions that are dirtbags, you know, they're just not good people. Um, so I, I would say develop rapport relationship. Don't be afraid to ask an executive and no matter what level you are like, Hey, I'd like to have a coffee sometime, right? but don't come on to them too strong. Like, Hey, great. Thanks for this coffee. Can you be my mentor? You got to let it, you got to let it build so that they also can take an interest in you and your career. Um, And, you know, and and choose carefully, you know, and and oftentimes you won't even know you chose it. It just will happen. Just invest the time, build the relationships with people that you think might be a good fit for a mentorship. Yeah. It's interesting because for me, you know, I've had some amazing mentors um, and I didn't realize some of the learnings until five, six years afterwards, right? There's some things that John Bonney said to me when I, when I gave notice and I left the company back in the day in quick test in 19, in uh, 1991, he looked at me and he said, we're even sorry, John, what is, what does that mean? He said, we're even. I'm like, "I, I apologize. What do you mean? He said, look, Merrill, you were here for six years. We paid you fairly. You gave everything you could to the company. We're even. And the reason I tell that boring story is I never knew what that meant till about three or four or five years later. Because, Michael, let me ask you this. You've been in a lot of companies. How many times can you actually say to somebody who's leaving for the last time, that last day when they leave, we're even too? What percentage do you think you can say we're even that both sides feel we're even? Uh, that's a tough question um, because I, uh, I I don't know. I think things are often not even. <laughs> I think right. Uh, well, um, right. I, yeah, right. I would say for me, it's probably twenty percent of the time max, and I never knew what that was. But he still has a profound relevance on my life even now. And I never knew it's interesting because Sandy Schwartz and John Barney, they worked together and Sandy was number one, John was number two. And John was a great number two. Um, but I don't think he ever had the wherewithal to be the top guy. His skill sets were were much better to be second in charge and have somebody who he reported to. And it really worked. I mean, it, it wasn't... Um, it was just something that he had this ability to really communicate with younger people, older people. It didn't matter whether it was gender, age, um, experience. I mean, he could, he was such a great mentor that he could, um, adapt his style to whoever he was talking to. And that's a real talent. And I always saw that talent in Al Angrisani. Al always, for me, he showed interest in whoever he was talking to. And Al, you know, we got to remember, most people don't know, but Al was a political giant. You know, he was very involved in politics, made it to a very high level, was very influential. And you know, you never felt like like Al was looking down on you. He had really unique skills, amazing skills, amazing man, really is. He was uh, one of a kind. I I miss yep. him. I still hear his voice. You know, he had a very distinct voice. You know, it's very very. Yep, like, sure did. Um, there's nobody else with his voice, and I still to this day, uh, which is you know, I really didn't talk to him much the last month. He wasn't feeling well. I, I still. Well, th- when I'm making a big decision, I, I right now I think, like, what would Al say? 
like what would yeah. I say? Yeah. So even though yeah. he's he's not here with us, um, I I truly believe that he will continue to guide me. And I, you know, he's got two books out, right? So it's funny I can't even read his books without hearing his voice. It's like it's like he's narrating them to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that's comforting, yeah. right? It's last week I've been kind of digging back into his books. Um, yep. but, uh, he's just a great man, and I know his family's really. <sighs> probably in a lot of pain. Uh, he's a lot of grandchildren and he's got his daughters that absolutely adore him and, you know, and son-in-laws. Um, and that was the number one thing for him. For me, he, he almost, I would say he even became almost like a second father to me. Um, that, yeah. that, that's how, how much we, uh, how much time we spent and I will definitely miss him. I already do. Yeah. Yeah. Without question, the greatest compliment that we could ever give somebody is the fact that somebody touches so many lives. And Al Angrisani did that. Sandy Schwartz has done that. Michael, thanks for spending some time with me today. You've been listening to Michael McCrary, CEO of Pure Spectrum. This is the On The Mark podcast. My name is Merrill Dubrow. Have a great day. Thanks, Merrill. 